Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. change a little bit and we can either compress back that way or down this way. There's some of you back there that I can't see uh, as well as I'd like to. Um, uh, the other day I saw my good friend Brad Dillingham. I hadn't seen him in person in a while and he said, Hodgin, I had no idea how good you looked in a mask. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was not a compliment, uh, but I'll take it uh, as one. Um, it is so good to be together as a group of Christians, a group of Bible students who are desirous of nothing more than to open God's Word and dig into it. And we have Bible classes for all ages that are meeting right now. And I hope you're praying about that, and I hope you're encouraged by that. It seems that our uh, Bible classes on Sunday night have been, um, have, have gone well. I had uh, um, one teacher sent me a text last week that said I had eight, uh, which was the most she had had, and that we might need more space. Um, a lot of uh, involvement. The students are very involved, and that's exciting. But as we open our Bibles tonight, of course, tonight and next Sunday night, uh, we'll end our series of looking at uh, God's Word through Psalm 119, and I will try my best to put something in the bulletin. If not, you'll know the quarters will be changing uh, the first uh, week in May, in, in May, and there'll be an adult class happening here and one in the Annex and uh, on Sunday morning as well as Wednesday night, and I will try to announce, I'll do my best to put that in the bulletin this week so you'll be reminded of who the teachers are and what the topics are. But tonight as we begin to study together, let's bow and begin with a prayer. Gracious Father, we are mindful of your goodness and your grace. And as we come before your throne tonight, on the bended knees of our hearts, we ask your forgiveness of the things that are amiss in our lives, for our mistakes, our faults, our sins, as we do our best to repent of those and turn from those and live the way you would have us to. We're mindful of so many uh, in our congregation who are, are, who are sick, who are struggling with various physical concerns and ailments and treatments and medical procedures. Father, we're also aware of those who are 
struggling with the loss and transition of loss in their lives. I pray that you would bless each of those. You know their needs so much better than we. Also, Father, as we began to wind down a study of the book of uh, or Psalms 119, as it teaches us what you would have us to know about your word and gives us things about which to think, I pray, Father, you would open our minds tonight, help us to look closely at Psalm 119, verses 153 through 160, and help us look into that and glean what you would have us to glean and apply to our hearts and then into our lives what we learn there about your truth. In Jesus' name, I humbly pray. Amen. Tonight, take your Bibles if you would. And let's look. We've been doing it differently probably um, every time we meet. But this time, and I'd already told you, uh, if you're keeping up, I've skipped a little at the end because um, there are 176 verses here, which are more than the slots that we had. So um, last week, I've skipped forward just a little bit. I want us to look at some uh, verses 153 through 160 as we think. But let me remind you, especially if maybe you're in class for the first time or we haven't mentioned it very much lately, our goal, as the title suggests, is we are studying the Word of God as it is discussed in this particular psalm. Of course, this psalm um, is divided into eight verse stanzas because it was written as a song. And as we understand, uh, one of the things that if you had one of those wish lists of things, you read the Bible, what would you you like to see? What would you like to... One of those, I would love to have heard this song being sung by David. Now, I wouldn't have understood it because I don't speak Hebrew. But as I understand now what this psalm is about, can you imagine what passion it must have involved as David was sending it toward God as praise. And in it, uh, we see every imaginable aspect of God's word and its power and its message and its application. And so that is our goal. So tonight, let's read, and I I want you to do something for me. I'm going to give you a little bit of an assignment. As I read this particular series of verses, I want you to look for, there is something, and God, sometimes we think, well, God used this technique that men use. No, it's really the other way around. Um, God's mind is far above ours. And when we think about how God speaks to us, man, there's so much uh, that we can glean if we're paying attention. So as I read this, there is a technique of rhetoric called repetition. Sometimes I'm sure, like I, you have been chastised in some way by a teacher for repeating yourself, by uh, saying the same thing over and over. Reminds me of a time when I was really excited because I had a student who wrote just a lot more than I expected. And I got into that first paragraph, and man, it was good. And then I realized that paragraph had about eight sentences, and seven of them said the same thing. Just kind of over and over That's being repetitive in a negative way. But there is something called repetition where a speaker or a writer repeats a phrase to draw you in. Repeats a phrase so you won't miss the point. And I want you to look for that. See if you can see that 
as we read this text. Let's start with verse 153 and read this particular stanza. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Did you notice the technique of repetition being used here? What was it? Give me life according to your word, according to your... um, Rule according to, according to. Give me, now what does it mean according to? Three different things are, are addressed here. But give me life. Give me that spiritual life. Give me that uh, a, a generation of spirit. But give it to me according to. What does according to mean? Congruent with. Congruent with. Now, what does that mean? Equal to. In other words, in, a, in accordance to, congruent with, equal to, it has to match. Very good. So, give me according to. Now, let's look at those just a little bit. There's three of them. Let's divide this stanza into three parts and then conclude. But first of all, as you read that, and I guess I should have led with this, but as you read this particular passage, when David says, give me life, According to, give me life. Does that not sound like a plea to you? In this particular psalm, this particular song, I can hear a plea from God that reaches the very throne room of heaven. Uh, It's a plea with God that you and I can relate to, can connect with. So if you and I make this same plea to God, it goes something like this. Give me life through your holy word. So first of all, give me life according to your promise. I'm looking into your word, Lord, but give me life according to your promise. Look at verses 50, 153 through 154. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. What are some key words there? Give me life according to your promise. But that plea comes on the heels of, look on my affliction, my difficulties, and deliver me. I do not forget, plead my cause and redeem me. Key words, deliver. Key word, redeem. Now, key word, promise. That word, deliver, it makes me think of what is often called the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's recording of it, the model prayer, more aptly uh, stated, as... He was teaching his disciples how to pray. One of the things in Luke eleven fourteen, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. But then a phrase maybe we don't think much, think much about. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, we spend, and we should, spend time 
thinking about, talking about, pondering upon, meditating on a, a person's individual responsibility. A, a person's responsibility to obey God, obey the gospel, do what's right, live according to God's will. That cannot be discounted in any way. But at the same time, you and I need to understand our submission to God, in our obedience to His will, in our obeying His commandments, none of those, I can never do that in a way that will truly save me. When I meet my responsibilities, Jesus said it like this, when you've done that which was expected of you, still say that you are an unprofitable servant. When I've done my part, I haven't raised myself out of the mire. I haven't pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I have not somehow uh, moved myself into um, uh, uh, equality with, with God's... No, but what I've done is I have done what God asked me to do. But I want you to understand in doing that, Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Do you and I understand that you and I have to do our part? 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Don't be deceived, evil companions corrupt good morals. And then in 2 Corinthians, what did he say in chapter 6? Don't be unequally yoked. But he said, come out from... Among them. Okay, I've got to do my part. But you understand that I cannot do my part. I cannot deliver myself. I can't do my part without God's power. Here, David was saying, deliver me. I don't forget your law. I, so what was David saying? I think it's important, for I do not forget your law. David was not suggesting there that you owe it to me, God, to deliver me because I haven't forgotten your word. I'm an o obedient, so therefore I'm on team God and, and it's got, that's coming to me. No. David was saying, I understand from where the power comes. I get it. I know where the power comes from. And Jesus said, when you pray, make sure you pray. Lord, deliver me from the evil one. I need God's power to keep me away from temptation. It also makes me think of Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. There he said, grace to God and peace from, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be glory forever. Oh, wait a minute. That he might deliver us from this present evil age. You mean I'm going to have to stay here forever? No, you're going to die. Hebrews 9 and verse 27, you're going to. You won't stay in this age. But if you're delivered from this present age, it makes me think of um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In referencing God, he said, he has delivered us. Can you finish it? He has delivered us out of the power of darkness, good, and what? Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom... We have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, put all of that together. Through Jesus, through the blood of Christ, God has delivered us out of the power of darkness. Literally, out of the control of this evil age. So when David said, give me life according to your promise, Lord, deliver me. 
Deliver me out of the power of those who would afflict me, those who would cause me to, to be held back and held down, those who would cause me to be other than your servant. Deliver me from that. It also makes me think of Second Peter. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 2. I'm gonna, I want you to hear those verses. 2 Peter chapter 2, it goes with this. Now, if there's a volunteer who would read that really loudly. Now, don't... Go ahead. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. Stephen, can I read it? Please. You know, I'm liking this example. Y'all follow suit. Thank you. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. Yes, sir. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned and cast them down to hell and delivered them in the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterwards would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment in the day of judgment. Yeah. Is, Sorry. That's good. <laughs> I said through, was that not all of it? Oh, okay. Through verse 9. I'm sorry. That's okay. Didn't mean to interrupt. Now, yo, listen, don't laugh at me. That's not nice. Uh, yo, listen to, to this just for a second. I don't know about you. I, I certainly won't suggest that you've done this, but I'm pretty sure, JT, that I've done this. That I have been guilty. And by the way, that's my teaching style in the classroom. I let it slip. Don't everybody think, what's JT doing? Is he asleep? No, I'm just calling names. JT's paying attention. That's what everybody always thinks. I did that in class one time. Ken, I actually called. That's what I do. I called a Ken. I said, hey, Ken. And this, this kid went, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm listening. Said, okay. No, that's, I'm glad. I wasn't suggesting you wasn't. So, JT, I didn't mean. Uh, but you know what? I don't want you to think for a second uh, that this verse is just about unrighteousness. Or it is condemnation. It's easy. I think I've been guilty of reading this text and thinking, well, this, this, this passage, this is about Peter's making it clear that God is reserving the wicked for judgment. He is reserving the wicked for condemnation. Well, that's in there. Absolutely. Of course it is. I, honestly, I don't think that's the thrust. It's certainly not all that's there. Get what's in there. Yes, get that if you're wicked, you're going to be lost. If you're unjust, you're, you're reserved for judgment. But child of God, don't miss your message. You know what your message is? David said, plead my cause, redeem me and give me life according to your promise. What does he say in verse 9? Then, because of all of this, because he was able to save Noah, he was able to save Lot, he was able to deliver both of them, he's also able to deliver the godly out of temptation. The unjust are reserved for punishment, but God, the same God who has that kind of power, is able to keep you reserved for goodness, deliver you from temptation. 
So you and I, that plea to God, when we think about that, through his word, he's able to do those very things. But then I also want you to think about the word promise. He said, give me life according to your promise. Again, I go, turn to Galatians 3. Galatians 3, we uh, looked at this in a... uh, studied this in one of Ken's sermons recently, I believe, but in, uh, or Bible class in Genesis, sorry, Galatians 3. Look at verse 26, and let's go down through the end of the chapter. Listen to the word promise here. Listen to the word promise. Give me life. I, I don't forget your law. I know who can deliver me. I know who pleads my cause. Now, Think about Galatians 3. Let's start about verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now, does that need explanation? No. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, children of God through faith. For as many as you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. Okay, the promise that he made in Genesis 22, the promise that he made to Abraham. That promise, that seed promise, that spiritual promise is being is unfolded for you and for me in Christ. And if we're in Christ, if we have obeyed the gospel, been baptized into Christ, delivered out of the power of darkness, delivered or or washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, all of those things, then we have life according to that promise. It makes me think about Hebrews 9 and verse 15 when, remember, he said, plead my cause in Hebrews 9 and verse 15. For this reason, he is the mediator. 1 John 2, we have an advocate with the Father. Talking about Christ. But in Hebrews 9, 15, those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He's the mediator of a new covenant that by means of death, for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant, those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul said we're called through the gospel. So if we answer the call of the gospel and obey it, then we have that advocate. We have that mediator. We have someone who's pleading our cause and redeeming us. And that's Christ. I also think about Hebrews 10 and verse 36. A particular message for you and me, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you've done what? The will of God. Then what? You may receive the promise. So, first of all, when I think about this just a little bit, my plea to God, number one, is give me life according to your promise. And he's promised that he will deliver us, that he will be the one who pleads our cause. And that promise, of course, is eternal life through Christ. But second... Give me life according to your rules. Now, you may hesitate there. Uh, Let's read verses 155 through 157 and think about rules. And I think the King James and the New King James calls this judgments. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. 
Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Now, interesting wording there. Let's, let's think about that just for a moment. But the idea of rules... Have you ever known someone who didn't like rules? That's a, you can, uh, some of you, that's a nod your head question. Some of you are, are beginning to giggle uncontrollably because apparently you teach them. You ever know anybody who didn't like rules? Okay, sure. Okay. Now, what are rules for? Yeah. Okay. It was, yeah, in this world, but in the perfect, when, they, when they're done properly, what are they for? Guidance. Yeah, guidance. Uh, to give us, and we'll look at a verse that kind of comes back to that in just a moment, or in just a moment. But guidance. Now, this word rules in the Hebrew literally means that. That which is right, that which is lawful, that which is just. Uh, so there is some guidance. But, okay, let's, let's think about this just for a second. Give me life according to your rules. So I want us to think about it from this perspective. In John 6 and verse uh, 68, remember when Jesus asked, will you too depart from me? What, you, what did Peter say? Yeah, he said, where else are we going to go? To whom will we go? But why did he say that? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Okay, now turn with me to Philippians 4. And I want us to look at verses 14 and 16. 14 through 16. No, you've heard these before. Let's look at them in context, together. In Philippians 2, Paul begins in verse 14 saying, Do all things without complaining, without disputing, murmuring, the King James says, that you may become blameless and harmless, the children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. Then, look at verse 16. This would be a perfect uh, sentence for me to use in the, the class that, that we're working on in English too because we're talking about participial phrases. Wouldn't y'all love to... I want to spend 30 more minutes after... Now, don't shake your head no before I finish the statement. That's just rude. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But notice, you say, what's that got to do with anything? Because verse 16, that is a participial phrase. And you know what it's for? Well, it's to describe those lights in the world. Oh, you, you, in the midst of a crooked generation, you children of God, you shine as lights in the world, and this describes you. This is what you're doing as you are that light, holding fast the word of life. That's a description of you as a light in the world, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, and I'm not running vain or labored in vain. So you're holding forth or fast to the word of life. Now, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, let me check my time here. Uh, let's look at that. We've got a minute. 1 John. Chapter 1, first four verses. Now, again, think about how all of these verses mesh together. David said, give me life according to your rules. And now we're thinking, okay, you hadn't said anything about the rules. What are you talking about? Well, yes, I kind of have because Jesus said, uh, or, or Peter said, Lord, we can't go anywhere but you because you're the one who has the words of life. And then in Philippians, 
we're told that as we are children of God in this crooked and perverse world that you mentioned a minute ago, we are shining as lights. And as we do that, we're holding forth. We're holding fast to the word of life, hanging on to it. Okay. Now, in 1 John, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, let's go down through verse 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. Wait a minute, you said word of life. Don't you mean a book? Let's keep reading. The life which was manifest, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This word of life he's talking about is Jesus is Christ, which goes right, ties directly into what Ken was discussing with us this morning as we were worshiping uh, and studying God's Word. That Word of life is Christ. And of course, you know, you learn about that through Scripture. But let, let's just let that sink in just a little bit. In John 8 and verse 12, what was it Jesus said about himself? He said, I am the blank of the world. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Oh, so I understand that when, give me life according to your rules, that being a Christian is not a. And when I think about this particular point, don't ask me why, I always think about uh, uh, a particular way of taking attendance in church buildings many years ago of pegboards. I don't know if any of you have ever seen those or not, but it had obviously a few. Had, um, and then one person related a very unfavorable situation, I guess, when someone asked another someone, uh, I'm not going to be there Sunday, put my peg in my name. Wait, what? Surely not. <laughs> I don't think it works like that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like being at Fred Hardeman and getting, no, let's not even talk about that. In for those of you who've been in chapel, not that any of you would ever have done that. No. Okay. Uh, now some of you think, go on, preacher, you're meddling now. Um, but think about this for a second. Jesus said, uh, I, I'm the light of the world. Uh, being a child of God Following the rules, it's not a matter of saying, well, I followed that rule, check, put my peg here, check, put my peg here, check. You know, I didn't step over this line, so I'm good to go. I, I'm not a Christian because I follow the rules of the Bible. Do you know that? I'm not a child of God because I follow God's rules. I follow God's rules because I'm a child of God. You say, isn't that the same thing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I follow God's will because I can't imagine living any other way. And that's what David's talking about there. So give me life according to your rules. But then number three, in verses 158 and 159, 
Notice this last one. Interesting. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Now we're talking about God's love. Steadfast. Tell me what the word steadfast means to you. Steel, steady. Steel, steady. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, What were you going to say? Constant. Yes. Okay. Something you can count on. It doesn't move. It doesn't sway. It doesn't waver. Absolutely. So, hmm? Unchanging. Unwavering. Very good. Now, wait a minute. We're down to this one and one more, and now y'all start talking? But that's okay. we've We've got it rolling for the next teacher. Doesn't change. Doesn't waver. Okay. The steadfast, according to your steadfast love... Look at these verses. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. There's two things there that preface this plea to give me life according to your love, your steadfast love. First, I look at the faithless with disgust. Now, I think it's important that you understand something here. This is not a personal judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, with the same judgment you will be judged. Now, that's almost a tongue twister, isn't it? Uh, but that's right. It's, this is not making a judgment about somebody. But because notice, we're going to read a passage in just a minute that addresses this for you and me. I look at the faithless with disgust. David isn't saying I'm looking at that human being and deciding I'm disgusted. It's a disgusting human being. No, no, no. I'm looking at the faithless. It's the faithlessness that is disgusting to David. It's repulsive to David to see a human being living his or her life in such a way that it would be in disharmony with God's love. Out of harmony with God's will. That says something about the way we're supposed to love God's will. Love God through His will. Because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. I love to know and to hear, Father, what it is that you want me to know and hear. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And let's look at verses uh, 38 and 39. I want to start with this particular verse. And I want you to hear this passage. We could read more of it, but verses 38 and 39 of Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death... Now listen to it. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation. Now, first, before I read the end of it, listen to Paul's... What Paul is saying, basically Paul in his typical fashion, through the Holy Spirit of course, is saying there, you go this way, this way, this way, this way, any way you want to. There is absolutely nothing, Paul said, death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything in all creation, you name it, that will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus. Give me life according to your steadfast love. 
If you have an obedient relationship with God through Jesus, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. I don't know about you, but if I don't get anything else from this lesson but that, I've gotten something that is beyond meaningful for me. In Romans 12 and verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Okay. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, in that context, it might be easy to think, well, he's talking about love we have for each other and the love we have for, for others as we... Con okay, yes, but look at the context of this. He talks about all those things, but look at the context of this particular verse. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, but then he, on the very heels of that, he goes on to say, abhor what's evil and cling to that which is good. That's a good evil prospect. That's the idea of, of what God um, allows and what God disallows. What is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. Oh, okay. But he said, let love be without hypocrisy. If you love God, according to Matthew 22, if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, then what? He said, let it be without hypocrisy. Which means, he said, well, what does that mean, man? What, what does that mean, uh, Mr. Uh, Paul, sir? What, what does that even mean? Well, he just told you what it means. That which is evil, you, you cannot stand. You cannot, uh, and I've heard people say this before. Now, look, don't you go out of here and say that I ever suggested that you should not be loving or kind to someone who is a sinner. In fact, how are you going to teach them if you're ugly and rude. Well, you can't. That's not what we're talking about. That's a different lesson. In fact, that's next quarter for me. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to teach personal evangelism, and we're going to talk about some of those same things. But here, I've had people say, I don't do what they do. No, I've had, I've had teenagers in the Lord's church say to me, I don't do what they do. Uh, I go with them, and I hang out with them, I ride around with them, but, but I don't believe what they believe. If that's a true statement, it won't be for long. Not according to the principles of the Bible and the principles of life. It doesn't work that way. I cannot be close companions with someone who absolutely abhor or absolutely uh, disregards and disrespects my God. Why? Because that insults me. I love you if I really, but I love them. I care about them. Good. Then talk to them about where they're headed and what's happening. Talk to them about their souls. But to just disregard any of that and just go on about your business... How does that fit with abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good? So, as I think about that, give me life according to your steadfast love. I, 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 just, I cannot be with that which is evil. I hold to that which is good. Why? Because I, I love you. But in 2 John chapter 1 and, and verse 6, um, 2 John verse 6, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. Okay, what is the difference in walking in the commandments of God? 2 John, verse 6. 
and walking in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1, 7. What's the difference? Nothing. That's uh, the simple one-word answer because that's right. Nothing. So walking in his commandments. And this is love. Wait, what's love? God loves me and I love God, but John said, you want to know what love is? Love of God, here it is. What is it? Walking according to his commandments. Walking according to his truth. So, as I think about that, give me life according to your steadfast love. God loves me enough that he expects me to love him back. And to love him back means that I cannot embrace that which is evil. And I will embrace that which is good. But a conclusion, verse 60, sometimes the, the, the stanza of the verse in the song, the verse at the end kind of leads us to a conclusion. And this one is, the sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. What's the word sum mean? Total, bottom total, what? All of it. All of it is truth. And every one of them endures forever. I want to take you back. Go back if you've got this text in front of you. I want to go back. I I left one part out uh, that I I wanted to share. We've got just a minute. Uh, If I can find it. There it is. Uh, The last part. I do not swerve, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Interesting. What does the word swerve mean? It's almost simple, right? What? To go away from. from, Or even to go around, maybe. To go away from. To move to the side of, away from. Okay. David here said, we were talking about God's rules. Give me life according to them. He said, I do not swerve from your testimonies. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve. Okay, in that particular text, and you'll have to, I'm glad I've got a timer because uh, I'll get carried away here. When the English teacher and the preacher meet, sometimes it takes too long. But the reason why you put two sentences together in the first place is because they have some kind of relationship with each other. And you say, oh, this is English. I want Bible. Wait a minute. You do know that the Bible has words. And those words are put together in a certain way for a reason, okay? Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, contrast, but I do not swerve. Okay, what, does the, the, what do those two sentences put together with the word but suggest about those persecutors and adversaries? Okay, this is the advanced portion of our class. Come on, think about it. I'm, not, I'm being serious. He said, I've got a lot of adversaries, I've got a lot of persecutors, but I do not swerve. That suggests that those persecutors and those adversaries are trying to do what? Take him away from what? Yes. That I encounter things in my life that the purpose of those things. You don't think the devil's busy? You don't think he knows you? Listen, I want to tell you something. The devil is more powerful than any government agency, any secret government organization, the CIA. The, uh, the devil has a dossier on everybody in this room. You can believe it. It's got your name on it and your picture in it. And he knows what makes you tick. That ought to scare you. 
It's the truth. And he knows, David says, that there are those, but I'm not going to swerve. I'm not going to the side. This idea of, of swerving, 1 John 3, 4, made me think of what you said earlier, and then we'll, we'll stop with that. Uh, whoever sins, I can quote it from the King James, whoever commit, commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. The word sin there is from the, the Greek word that has the idea of, of hitting a target. Hitting a mark. Sending is missing the mark. But the word transgression is the idea of going beyond. Going beyond. Uh, the boundaries that God has set for us. I don't swerve. I don't. And I want to end with a, a very brief story. That for some reason when I read this verse I think of this. The word transgression has the idea of God has given us boundaries. And when I choose to go on the other side of those boundaries, then I am going beyond what God has given me and asked me to do. I grew up deer hunting with my father and friends, and we used to hunt in Itawamba County, Mississippi, in what was affectionately known as Bull Mountain Bottom. And I hunted there for many, many years. And there was a particular hunting club. I wasn't a part of that club. We, had a, we, we hunted on private land right in the midst of that. That land was uh, leased by a a large timber corporation who in turn leased that land to uh, the hunting club. And we were, you know, we were told to stay off that land. There were signs everywhere, so we did. But I remember as a young man, they cut some of that land over in the prime hunting, in the, in the prime territory. The timberland cut that, but they had the signs, do not... Uh, uh, this particular hunting club. And I'll never forget, he said, What's he, where's he going? I, I went to this place on this side, our land, my land, the land that I'm supposed to hunt on. Wasn't really good. It's kind of up a hill. But there was some of the, oh, if you're a deer hunter, it was, a, it was, it was ready-made. But it was on the other side of that sign that said, no trespassing, such and such hunting club. Well, I got up on this stump and I sat overlooking this clearing. But I was on my side. And this guy came along and said, you do know this is posted land for that hunting club. And I said, oh yeah, but I'm hunting on this side. He said, dude, you're looking this way. I said, yeah, but I'm on the... Yeah, you know where that story goes, right? See, I, you know, I, as a young man, I thought, well, it's okay because I'm on the right side, but I'm looking in the wrong place. Sometimes, are we not guilty of that? We've got ourselves on the side we should be on, but we're as close to the edge as we can get. And we just can't keep our eyes off of this side. I will not swerve from your testimonies. That includes my heart, my eyes, my attention, my, my life, my everything. Next week, I want us to look at the last eight verses in Psalm 119, if you want to look at it ahead. Um, we're just a little bit early, probably. If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, you may go at this time as somebody will help you. And I will say this, for those of you who are parents, I've noticed this. Thank you for your patience. Our teachers are getting rolling and the students are getting involved and they are often not finished when you get out there. So that, that's exciting. But if you're a parent, if you want to make your way now to the hallways and the rest of you give them a moment to, to get out and then 
you are dismissed, and I pray you will have a blessed week in his service.